Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 189 for Monday, April 18th, 2022. My name is Johnny, and joining me as always is Sonic Boom, Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. <laughs> yes, that's uh, something we're going to talk about later. Uh, and if you want to hear a little bit more about the behind the scenes of streaming uh, and also video and audio production, then you should listen to The Render Distance. That is the extended version of the podcast that Johnny and I record every week uh, our patrons get access to that you can become a patron at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks and those patrons have unlocked a number of very cool perks this week is our chunk mail dispenser episode so there's lots of email to get to later in the show our quarterly hangout for q122 was this past weekend that is available now on the patreon page for patrons only and should be in your patron only rss feed already our monthly Minecraft Hangout for April will be this Saturday, April 23rd. The time is to be determined. We'll announce that later on in the week in Discord as Johnny and I can coordinate, but it's likely going to be Saturday morning, kind of Eastern time-ish, but we'll we'll fill you in as time gets a little bit closer. These have been a real highlight. I'm looking forward to the next one. It's always super fun to see what people are building. So uh, t start taking those screenshots now, folks. Um, speaking of screenshots, uh, what's been going on on the Citadel? Any any real pretty stuff that you can share with us? I have been spending my time in Somerville, which is Cosmic Dancer's uh, area on the server. And uh, I've had a real blast working on the subterranean rainbow spaghetti fungus flower farm working title it gets longer mm -hmm. as the days go on uh -huh. uh, it's done it's finished and it was an absolutely fantastic break from the grays and the browns of west hill i'm oh, I looking bet. forward to get back <laughs> and, and finishing up west hill uh and it gives me it's given me ideas like as i work into now the the richer area of west hill i i know that i have to appease the cosmics and add more flowers like i i need more color in in west hill for sure um, but Cosmic's area, which um, you can see all kinds of screenshots on my my Twitter page, because taking screenshots of underground farms is really hard yeah. <laughs> to get everything yeah. in and have it look like I can show you because I can't. It's not a redstone tutorial. I can't fly around in the air 20 blocks above the thing and give you a perspective because the ceiling is immediately four blocks overhead. Yeah. Um, but essentially, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I have been adapting Logical Geek Boy's flower farm and Exumavoid's uh, fungus farm from the nether dilium stuff. And with some help from Alistair McFly, tip of the hat to Servermate Alistair, which with uh, helping me sort out some final redstone, uh, I was able to get it all working this past weekend. And so the full functionality, um, instead of just going into hoppers and chests, the um, farms are now harvested by water because I like water streams. I think they're fun. And they all get collected into one water stream, which then goes over a standard impulse SV sorting system with a twist in that I am sorting everything underground, not up top where the chests are. And so all of my water streams, my vertical water streams are directly adjacent to one another. And there's no um, soul sand underneath them, uh, or at least there is, but it's not active because the trap doors that I use to separate each water column uh, keep the bubbles from actually appearing. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is I'm just using the natural buoyancy of items. Uh, it's not so far that they despawn. They still get up there fast enough. Uh, and the droppers at the bottom are powered by the same switch that turns on these uh, farms. 
And all these farms originally were meant to be turned on and turned off manually. So I had to like incorporate a heat, uh, an etho hopper clock. I had to do a couple of other hopper clocks that I had to learn how to build. Um, all of it is controlled by surface level um, switches that Cosmic can turn on and off. And I set the red zone signal down by using walls, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. It's such a cool mechanic. Uh, I It wasn't working for me for the longest time. And the reason was... I wasn't updating the wall every time the piston put a wall on top of, of the row. It was like every other time. And I, I was I was missing one block had to be mined away from the top of the switch. And yeah. it took me three streams to figure out. <laughs> it's funny. There's always uh, one thing. There's always one mm-hmm. thing that's just like yeah, holding you up on that stuff. But uh, and, yeah, no, and, wall redstone is something I still need to get into at some point because it's, it's fascinating. Oh, man. Oh, you can, it's instant. Like you you have an observer at the bottom and you have a piston at the top and you push a wall over some other existing walls. And if it changes the state of the wall, then the observer will pick it up. And the cool thing that I learned is that while I, I, it was not working correctly the way that I wanted to at first, I now know two ways to do it. So you can have the observer trigger every second time you press the button, or you can have it trigger every time you press the button. Mm -hmm. And so Good if that's what you want, but bad if that's an unintentional <laughs> side yeah. effect. And uh, we don't have um, camera accounts on the server. So like I had to wait for Alistair to be available and for him to be at the bottom and for me to be at the top, pressing the button. <laughs> you're, saying, What's you're happening? Like, you're like yelling down the ladder to your mate who's at the bottom being like, "Is it? does it look okay from here? Yeah, I can, I can yeah. see that, that being, uh, yeah. being a lot of fun though. Yeah, but it was great. Uh, and the the last thing, which was um, something that was frustrating me on stream, but again, had the help of Alistair and some tweaks to to get sorted out, was these flowers are coming in so fast. There's so many coming out of these farms that the single filters can't take more than like 20 items at a time. Right, yeah. Uh, and, and so I send the overflow into bone meal because these farms chew through bone meal like yeah. nothing. And, and so I thought, well... Sh- there's going to be enough flowers. It's not like there's going to be shy flowers. So we'll put some of them to bone meal. There's only two bone meal hoppers. So really those hoppers are going to fill up fast as well because there's 10 spaces on those hoppers, but then there's, I think, nine or 12 items that come across in the in the rotation. So uh, I've looped the water system around. So if it doesn't get hooked up by the filters, uh, the items do get sucked into bone meal. And if they still don't get sucked into bone meal, then they circle around again. They go by the filters again, and then they go by the bone meal again. So they probably won't despawn. They're either going to be filtered or bone meal, depending on what's happening. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I really wanted to do, which was completely unnecessary, is split the bone meal evenly between uh, both farms. And so I used a hopper minecart, evenly distributed over two hoppers. The problem is that composters make bone meal one at a time, hoppers only push items one at a time the uh hopper minecart will not split one item at a time it has to be a lot of items for it to split evenly between the two hoppers below it Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i had to figure a way to lock the minecart hopper with activator rails which was a tip oh yeah that's that's a mechanic that i never get into because like i rarely need to lock a minecart hopper but it's one of those things that as soon as you know it you're like i can think of about 50 different things that i could use this for it's it's actually quite a smart mechanic that i don't think enough people take advantage of yeah and it took me a second to figure it out uh it needed to happen off stream alistair and i hung out on on stream um or not on we hung out on the world for 20 minutes before my stream to figure it out and 
ultimately I was hoping to empty the entire container. Um, but what ends up happening is that there's another container with a comparator pushing out a power strength of three. So by the time it gets to the other comparator, it's a strength of two. Uh, the bone meal in the container that is being collected and harvested by the minecart hopper gets to about 42. And then the minecart hopper is unlocked for a couple of seconds with two repeaters on full delay, just enough for 20 items to go through. And then it locks up again. And then the bone meal um, container fills up again. And so it's not perfect. It doesn't work exactly as I wanted it to, but the limitation is basically the space that I have, the way that I want it to look and the level of like fullness I want this thing to be. But as it turns out, 20 at a time is enough for the minecart hopper to then divide evenly that bone meal between the two farms. Mm -hmm. And then, then it locks again. It never goes below 20, but it doesn't get much above, we'll say 40 or 60 because the minecart hopper is just so fast yeah. at sucking items out. And the hoppers are just so slow at putting, putting items in. So it's just kind of like filling up a stack, you know, to 42 and then just opening up the valve and then closing it again every few seconds. And it works wonderfully. I thought I was going to have to put in like a great big decay clock and all kinds of stuff. And I didn't. And so I'm really proud of it. it. It was a lot of fun. And everything, of course, is decorated with like glazed terracotta and, um, uh, colored concrete for like you know yellow for power blue for waterway purple for sorting system red for farm you know tr uh, cyan for the other farm like it just it's really bright and colorful it looks kind of like the inside of a circuit board with all the wires and stuff going everywhere so it was a lot of fun nice yeah now the, the difference between hoppers and hopper minecarts is absolutely staggering it's one of those things that you're like why don't hoppers work this fast but i think it, it's really just to, to kind of uh, probably mainly to keep lag and stuff down because of how much they could be checking for items above them but like hopper minecarts basically process things as fast as the game is able to process things you can do 20 items in a second because there are 20 game ticks in a second and it's pulling in an item or pushing an, an item around every every game tick whereas i think hoppers it's every i think it's like 0.4 seconds which is like eight game ticks so hopper minecarts are eight times faster than hoppers which is always a, a bit of a a, a difficult thing to wrap your head around at first but yeah they're, they're so useful they're so very very useful that's something else that i learned from chat this weekend too is that composters are the best item to put on top of open hoppers that are oh, not yeah. actively sucking something in because they have one inventory slot and it's not accessible by the player so like it's it's the least complicated thing that they can look through to to decide you know what they're computing I think it used to be furnaces because furnaces only had three yes. slots and now it's yep. now it's composters. And that seems to be everybody's favorite fact recently because I get a lot of people coming into my stream and being like, why don't you have composters over your hoppers? <laughs> and I'm like, because I'm in a single player world and my storage system is relatively small and it's only inconveniencing <laughs> me if it gets laggy, at which point I will do something about it. But I understand with a lot of people watching servers right now and it being, you know, a, a, a bit of common knowledge that is going around servers every time everyone starts a new storage system and goes wow this is actually really ambitious i should probably lag bust this before it causes a headache for everybody else yeah the lag when these farbs are on is palpable uh -huh. like it's, <laughs> I, my screen stutters quite a bit and my frames stay at at 
75 but it, it's the it's the lighting updates because yeah. it's the shifting floor so i originally was going to daylight them so there's a giant pit that goes from the surface 15 blocks down to the farm so you can't hear the the piston mayhem when you're on the top you know when you're in the flower fields the peaceful flower fields of of somerville that cosmic has spent so much time on you can't hear like the constant chunk 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 of the mm-hmm. of the pistons which is really loud um and uh the the issue of course is that when daylighting them you can look down see that they're working without having to hear them but the the full daylight just like completely destroyed your frames yeah and so what we ended up doing was putting um tinted glass under uh stained glass so there's a pink and a cyan roof on the pit but then there's tinted glass that blocks the light the toss-up of course is it means that the farm is really dark down there mm-hmm. um and because of the way that the farms are wired they use observers underneath the shifting floors to cause like different updates and so you can't like light tight the bottom of them very well yeah. it doesn't seem to matter the, the shifting blocks at that speed just lag the game that just yeah. seems to be a thing that that happens yeah and you're, you're moving stuff around as fast as the pistons will allow you and so forth so mm-hmm. yeah there's 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 a lot going on there um this week i did a a bunch of redstone revision of my own because i was doing a survival guide episode all about redstone components and so a lot of this stuff kind of came up in my initial drafts of like how much of this stuff do i need to cover and eventually i just decided if i start talking about more complex concepts than just what each individual component does in a vacuum on its own i'm gonna be here all day (laughs) so i ended up not Mm -hmm. really covering stuff like you know clocks and you know lag busting hopper systems and that kind of stuff i just went well this is what a hopper does um and so i got a little bit into the mechanics of that still probably got a bit of stuff wrong because i'm still learning but hopefully conveyed concepts in a way that other people will be able to at least understand them and further their own knowledge of redstone so that was a bit of fun and it was honestly a bit of a slog getting through all of them because you forget how many redstone components there are especially when you consider that output like mechanism components and stuff includes stuff like doors if you go into the creative mode interface on uh, on any kind of creative mode world you find doors and fence gates and trap doors all in the redstone category even though to me most of them are decorative <laughs> that's like typically the only way i tend to use fence gates and stuff is either for decorative stuff or for blocking water from flowing somewhere but i don't think of them as something that yes that opens and closes by redstone of course you know, you can use it that way very easily. Just stick a fence, uh, a fence gate, and a pressure plate down next to your cow pen, and just stroll on in and have it lock behind you. Very, very useful, but not something that occurs to me at first glance. So I had a bit of fun going through all of the redstone stuff and explaining how it works and and trying to find decent ways to illustrate in game how a lot of that stuff works. It's it's more challenging than you'd think. Oh, I joked that I should have watched your video before I started making the <laughs> bone meal thing. Because I, I mean, I basically forgot some of the basics of how comparators work. Like I know mm-hmm. how they work, but I forgot some of the some of the details. I'm just like, because I only ever use them for one thing, which was binary: is there something in the chest or not? Yeah. Right. I, I've not used a lot of like comparing signals, which is what they're designed for. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's been a while since I've messed with any of that kind of redstone. And uh, I, I need to brush up on it. And I will be watching the video <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, no, that, to start at the basics. I think one of the things people always forget about comparators is that they keep the signal strength the same from the output and the input. So if you're if you want to turn a corner in a redstone signal and not use a repeater to like boost your signal back up to full strength then you can 
maintain the signal strength from the input of a comparator to the output and if you input level five it outputs level five and that's way more useful than you think because of mm. I, mm -hmm. I had a couple of setups like i was using a lectern to enable certain amounts of bookshelves to pop up in an enchanting setup so you can have an adjustable thing if you only want to enchant at level 15 you only put half the bookshelves in right and so i had one of those set up where a bunch of the pistons are going to activate in a row but then if you've got to square it off for the enchanting setup it's got to turn a corner and by that point you're turning the page three more times to activate the next piston because the redstone wire has to go around a corner and that's where you put a comparator in so that you eliminate one of the pieces of redstone dust it goes in at signal strength five it comes out at signal strength five and that's how the piston gets activated so they can work one after the other even around a corner like that it's so useful but again i find that stuff so difficult to describe verbally even even now <laughs> i have the hardest time actually articulating what it is i'm trying to trying to explain and whenever I read that stuff on a page, I just glaze over. Uh, so if I read the Minecraft wiki explanation of what a comparator is, my brain just sort of, you know, it goes in one ear and out the other. And so I'm finding it's much easier to demonstrate that stuff, both with practical examples in game and with a script <laughs> so that I'm not just left yeah. to waffle on my own. I actually really heavily scripted that episode so I knew what I was talking about the whole time. And that worked out really well for me, I think. I think it uh, it turned into a pretty good episode, even though it was a bit of a nightmare to record all the examples. That That's awesome. Uh, I, I think those resources are few and far between, I think, for maybe new players to the game. Like, mm -hmm. there's lots of Redstone videos out there, but, like, the first thing that shows up is, like, Mumbo Jumbo, Il Mango, <laughs> Nembon. <Yeah. laughs> like, these are going to be way over new people's heads and maybe even intimidating to the point where they won't try it. Yeah. And uh, I I was reminded, you know, of just how similar to, you know, like the basics of computer coding and like that kind of stuff that Redstone actually is. And um, I was hanging out with a, a good friend of mine, Peyton, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and his son is really into Minecraft and is all into the technical side of things. And it's right over Peyton's head. Mm -hmm. Like he's a creative guy. He's an artist. So like he can he understands building a castle, the appeal and the execution of it. But then when when his son is doing this other stuff, he's like, I don't even know what's going on. Yeah. And so I had a conversation with him trying to basically explain and he sort of got it, you know, um, but you really have to go back to basics for it. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's like engineering. Like there's there's so much of it mm. that makes logical sense and has to do with logic. And that's also, yeah, where my brain starts to fall apart because I, I like I like building stuff. I like the aesthetic things. I like things that don't have a definite answer is the reason I preferred English to maths in school, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so basically I, I moved on from that into a project which was technical but involved virtually no redstone whatsoever, which was a slime farm. Um, and so I, I decided to set up a slime farm in probably the worst possible place, but it's a place I'm going to be around a lot because it's my dripstone cave where I was building a, a base. And it's a series of connected caverns, tons of dark space everywhere. Spawn proofing this thing has been a nightmare. Um, oh, wow. But I really like the farm design um, because I managed to find a slime chunk organically. The first time I think I've ever really done this without just looking it up on chunk base or whatever. I dug out a large area for my beacon mine. I dug a large area horizontally at about Y8 in the stone layers. And a couple of slimes spawned while I was doing that. And I took some screenshots and thought, okay, I'll go back and check whether these are slime chunks. I'll just fence them off so that any slimes that spawn in there stay in there. 
and that's how I'll know whether there's a slime chunk. I went down there with that plan. As soon as I started recording the episode, two slimes spawned in front of me across the room in a different location. And I thought, well, now we have on-camera evidence that the slimes just popped into existence right there. We're using that chunk. I moss mined the entire thing out from Y8 to Bedrock, and then built up layers of moss platforms. And the way I'm doing this is that there are iron golems behind nether portals. So instead of having like a system that kills them in the overworld, they go through to the nether, they get removed from the overworld mob cap immediately, and the nether portal comes out to basically a two-way jump that the slimes can make, both of which lands them on soul campfires on top of hoppers, which is the only redstone in the entire thing. <laughs> um, the hoppers just channel all of the drops into the uh, collection area and... It works pretty well once you've lit up 128 block radius around the farm, which I've now had to do and have been sneakily employing my camera accounts to help me find some of the darker spots because I didn't get any slimes to spawn until I'd spent at least 10 stacks of torches lighting up the surrounding caves. But to be fair, these are caverns and there isn't really any natural way of limiting mob spawns the way you would at like a mushroom island or something like that. And that made me think about the deep dark and the way that people are not sure what the deep dark is really for if you're not there for ancient cities. Let me tell you, slime farms? <laughs> slime farms. Because if you can't find a mushroom island, but there is a deep dark area somewhere nearby, standing in that to not get any other hostile mob spawns and having one area on the periphery of that be your slime farm, you're going to make absolute bank when it comes to slime balls, <laughs> which is a very difficult thing to do otherwise in 118. It is an experience trying to get all of those dark areas eliminated. Uh, but now I've finally more or less done it. I think I still have a couple more to light up, but I was doing it basically all this morning as well. And it's now spawning a decent amount of slime. Like I could probably make a double chest in an hour or two if I was patient and AFK'd there. Um, and it's it's, nice. it's working for me. And then of course I get slime blocks that I can start to use for flying machines and contraptions and maybe get into TNT duplication a bit down the line. Um, and I feel like a little bit silly that i haven't done this at an easier place like a mushroom island which i do i did find a mushroom island a little while ago but i don't live there and it's quite far away and so my idea was if i do this in my dripstone cave base it kind of encourages me to spend more time around here and working on the projects that i've already started but have just kind of stalled on because they're mainly decorative and they're not really moving the series forward so that's that's where my effort has been i think we're probably going to get into a couple more farm related things later this week maybe start a guardian farm potentially but again going from grindy project to grindy project i kind of need to pace myself a bit how do you keep the mob loaded when they go to the nether i mean they, it, it loads the nether side briefly when a slime goes through right so oh like they they don't immediately despawn on entering the nether and in fact there are some mobs in the nether that i've been there with my spectator camera account which shouldn't load mobs um and they're just they just kind of hang out there um and e even like piglins that are in the crimson forest around there do still stay there from when the chunks were last loaded by a player and so it's kind of the way um You've heard of chunk loaders that are used like, you know, you have an entity traveling backwards and forwards through a nether portal and that loads the chunks for you so that an area can stay loaded when it's outside of the spawn chunks. This basically works the same way, but the slimes load into the nether and they pretty much immediately jump off onto the campfires. So it's really not that long it has to stay loaded before the slime is just killed and all of the slime balls go into the chest. So 
it's it's worked for me and i was surprised by that because that's not the way i imagined it working either but um you know i've seen people build stuff like this on multiplayer servers i wasn't certain it was going to work on a single player world but it does so it's the kind of approach that i would consider in future mob farms as well having everything go straight through to the nether for like a, a constant churn of mobs spawning in the overworld it's something that I would be considering because I'd like to do something with a, a personal guardian farm, something really over the top. Like there's a spot on the server where there's two guardian farms that are within, not sorry, there's two ocean monuments with are with, within loading distance of one another. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you could AFK in the middle and essentially get like, you know, both farms pumping out stuff. I, I think it would probably hit mob cap and it wouldn't be, it would be overkill and probably not really to any mm -hmm. benefit other than just the bragging rights. I just want to see that many guardians flying through a single water stream. I think that would be <laughs> just for the spectacle. Very funny. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would just be um, a, a lot of fun. Uh, and again, if we could do something like you're saying with, you know, having them, because I mean, if I don't need, I don't need them to be cooked or I don't need to XP, like I just need the drops. Like we can just put them in the nether into a drop and just like, that's it. You know, like they're in there for seconds, you know, before yeah. they're, you know, flat fish at the bottom of, you know, something where they're collected. Um, the tricky part there would be dealing with the drops in the nether because you don't have water streams. Like you'd have to find a way you'd have to be doing like those ice block, pushy ice things mm -hmm. to get the items around, um, for your slime farms and your farms near your builds. I think that's a better idea. I, I like the idea of building farms closer to where you're building because we made that, well, I won't call it a mistake, but now that we've started to branch out on the Citadel, uh, I'm not near any of the farms that I built ever. Uh, my swamp base has the most robust farms, but that's where I was digging out uh, a beacon mine underneath my witch farm to try and like light up and spawn proof that. But while I was there, I had, you know, a skeleton farm. I had a zombie spawner. I had uh, my slime farm is in the swamp as well. So it's pretty good. It's four chunks. It's decently deep. It's not completely, you know, spawn proof, but it's real close. And I've been thinking about expanding it down to the new bedrock and just cause I wanted like a big dig project and I wouldn't mind getting some deep slate of my own cause I, and I would get a lot of it from that. And the thing that I just consider is just like, I'm just never in this area that I put all these farms in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it might be long-term better to like start to pick certain places. Like our squid farm is now in the modern city. And that's great for people building in the modern city because you need a lot of black dye for like concrete and stuff. But I like the idea of spreading the farms out. So like if you want to go get something, you have to then go to an area, which means that you are looking through and visiting either yourself or for audience members, you know, different areas of your world. And uh, it encourages you to like, you know, b build farms that are important for what you're doing nearby. Uh, I don't know what I would need off the top of my head in a place like West Hill, but, you know, something along the lines of like, uh, a, well, a super smelter for like cracked stone would come in handy. You know, um, a, an automatic tree farm nearby would be, would be good, uh, that kind of stuff. And I just haven't done that because they don't tend to look very good. Um, I've got a storage system buried underneath the keep, but like, that's it. I don't have any other real functionality in the area. And, uh, it, it's um it's smart to keep those things by your base and, and incorporate it if you can because I find that I spend all these you know um streams and effort and time into these farms and in order to have them work I basically have to go stand by them yeah 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 right that, and and that's part of my problem with the AFK farming 
thing that a lot of folks like to do is that I I want stuff to happen in the background while I'm still in the world being active and doing other things. Yes. I don't I don't yeah. like to leave my computer on for long stretches of time unattended and I like the the idea of stuff just kind of happening in the background. It adds life to your base and it also gives you a reason to be running around and doing stuff. And I think there's this misconception also that a lot of more a lot more farms work in the spawn chunks than actually do. Like so much of Minecraft's sort of you know processing that works towards automatically farming stuff has to happen within 128 blocks of the player, or at least like a certain chunks radius of the player where random ticks can still happen and so forth. So people are surprised when they build a farm in the spawn chunks and then return from a trip to find that their wheat hasn't grown. And it's like, yeah, because that's the way crop mechanics work. The only thing that really works in the spawn chunks is stuff that's driven by mob AI like iron golems because villagers and zombies just talk to each other and that's all that has to happen. But um, yeah, there's there's some stuff that you just think I'm going to have to sit in a box next to this for however long until it produces stuff. And that's not my idea of what playing Minecraft is all the time. Especially with the, the level of slime that I need from this farm is not something that I'm going to need to AFK for days so that I can build a giant perimeter creating tnt dropping monstrosity I'm, I'm just here to to get the stuff that i need to get started and if i need to expand the output later that's another project for further down the line let's move into the news we've got a snapshot to talk about uh this is java edition snapshot 22w15a uh you can find a link to that in our show notes that'll link you to minecraft.net where the changelog is and it says some of you have been thinking the warden was a little too easy why else would we be adding a ranged attack for the already terrifying mob? Uh, so new features in 22W15A include two advancements. One is called when the squad hops into town for getting each frog variant attached to a lead. And uh, Sneak 100 is the other for sneaking near a skulk sensor or a warden to prevent it from hearing you. And the reason to prevent it from hearing you is because they've added a new ranged attack to the Warden. If you build up high, if you hide behind walls, or you're out of range of the Warden's melee attack, that will cause the Warden to switch to a ranged attack. The rib cage will open up to shriek a sonically charged ranged attack that can penetrate walls. And I never thought I would read the phrase, their rib cages will open up in a Minecraft changelog, but here we are. Minecraft is a horror game now. Uh, so changes in 22W15A aside from those include adding the darkness effect to the how did we get here advancement for having every status effect in the game all at once. LAs now have a natural health regeneration of two health per second. The main menu background has been updated to show a wild update panorama with some mangrove forests in there. Speaking of which, mud generates all the way from the surface down to stone in mangrove swamps, so no more shelves of dirt under the surface. Tall mangroves are now far more common than short mangroves in mangrove swamps. Moss carpet will generate on top of mangrove tree roots. The wandering trader will now sometimes offer mangrove propagules for sale. A previous change to note blocks that only wool and wool carpets would mute the sounds has now been reverted. Wardens can now sniff you from further away and the vertical range wardens get angry at a target while sniffing is now 20 blocks instead of 6 blocks. A couple of changes have been made to vibrations, speaking of the warden. Carpets, much the same as wool blocks, will now dampen the vibrations caused by their placing, breaking or dropping as items, so carpets are safer to use around skulk sensors and the like. Carpets now also dampen the vibrations caused by running and jumping over them. 
There are a couple of technical changes in 22W15A, there's a few new advancement triggers and game events, the full details of which are on the Minecraft.net changelog because we figured it'd be a little dry to read them here on the show. There are also a bunch of bug fixes, a few fixes for where you can place organic blocks like vines and glow lichen. They've removed the ability to use a recovery compass on a lodestone, which is apparently a thing in the previous snapshot where it was introduced. Mangrove leaves now drop from silk touch tools where they didn't before, and overworld vegetation can now be placed on muddy mangrove roots. Several types of vegetation also couldn't be placed on mud, and so those fixes have come in with this snapshot. Accompanying that, Minecraft Bedrock Edition has a beta and preview. This is preview 1.19.0.24 or 25, you can find the changelog for this on feedback.minecraft.net, and there's a quick blurb here which I'll read out. Some of our more eagle-eyed players might have noticed that last week's beta and preview contained early functionality supporting spectator game mode, which was accidentally made available in the game. We know this is a top feature request for the Bedrock edition of Minecraft, and developers have been working hard to bring you this feature. We're currently working on developing the first iteration of spectator mode to get your feedback and plan for the next iteration. However, we still have a lot of work work to do. This first iteration will not be finished in time for Minecraft 1.19, so we will be moving it to an experimental toggle in an upcoming beta. So for now, access to that has been removed, but along with that there are some features and bug fixes to talk about. The recovery compass has been added and works much the same as it does when we've covered it in the Java changelogs previously. There are some tweaks to the behavior of Skulk Shriekers and the Warden, which include that Skulk Shriekers should not be triggered by redstone activation. They've added a can summon block state to Skulk Shriekers that determines whether a Shrieker can trigger a Warden to spawn, and this is a property that should only be available to Skulk Shriekers placed during world generation in the deep dark and the ancient cities. Running away from a Skulk Shrieker during Shrieking is no longer a viable way of preventing the summoning of a Warden, which apparently it was before, and the Skulk Shrieker will no longer attempt to spawn a Warden in peaceful mode. The Shrieker now spreads the highest threat level amongst players in the vicinity, not the threat level of the closest player, so if you're attacking the Deep Dark in a group in the Bedrock Betas, beware. The Warden now has a hurt animation when it takes damage and will now prioritize players over mobs when it's angry. They've also improved the Warden's suspect tracking gameplay behavior and increased the sniff range, much as the same as they have on Java Edition. Outside of those, Reinforced Deep Slate can no longer be pushed by pistons, the Mangrove Swamp Biome Generation is now at parity with Java Edition, and there are some changes to the Goat Horn. The Goat Horn sound is now instant when played, they've added the Goat Horn variations to the Pillager Outposts, but they have removed the Copper Horn. And once again, there's a bit of an explanation here. Although community feedback was mostly positive, the Copper Horn was a fun experiment that didn't quite live up to our design goals, so we decided to remove it. We understand people might be sad, but we need to be able to try out new and interesting things, and we need to be able to remove experimental features sometimes. This leaves space for even better features in the future. There are also some minor tweaks to the allay, chest boats, mud bricks, frogs, and a few other gameplay features in this Bedrock Edition beta, and a full changelog can be found once again at feedback.minecraft.net. That's also linked in our show notes. Also on minecraft.net, you can meet the wildfire. Mob D, the hovering inferno, master blaze. In Sweden, we say that as a beloved child has many names, but in the Minecraft universe, it is now known simply as the wildfire, an all new adversary in the upcoming Minecraft dungeons seasonal adventure, Luminous Night. 
Back in 2017, the Wildfire, or Mob D as you might know it, lost to the Phantom in the first ever then-named Minecon Earth mob vote. Originally planned for the Flames of the Nether expansion, the development team wanted to take the time to get the Wildfire right and adding variety to the event-based mini-bosses that you experience in the game. The Wildfire has four shields that need to be destroyed before you can damage it, if it regains too much health in the fight, it can rebuild its shields on its own. And it does that by moving over to things that have been set on fire. Uh, it sounds like a hot battle. Yeah, sure does. And the uh, the hint at the wildfire in the Flames of the Nether expansion was just a statue version of it. And it seems like they've had a, a bit of a mission to get this into the game. So props to the Dungeons team for taking an idea that we thought would never appear in the Minecraft universe again and turning it into a feature of the latest update. I do need to hop into Minecraft Dungeons again and check out uh, Luminous Night at some stage. But uh, we'll see if I get the time to do that with my currently fairly busy schedule. Um... Let's talk about the Warden, because I'm pretty sure that's going to be the thing that's mostly on people's minds. The Warden now has a, a ranged attack, a kind of sonic burst that it's got going on. I think it's great that the arc reactor chest, I mean, chest bursting <laughs> soul sonic boom of is. the Warden uh, is in the game. I think it makes sense. I think it's a, a welcome like addition to the Warden. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of um, conflicting feedback you see where you'll get people thinking that the warden's too easy or it's too easy to cheese. I really was disappointed when I found out that you could pillar up five or six blocks and just like kill it. And I mm -hmm. thought like the whole idea is to avoid it. And and I think they're they're really forcing the player down that path. Like I, there's going to be ways to eventually you know get around the warden. I'm sure, but for now it's just it's it's more work. I think to try and escape it and try to kill it than it is to just like play the game the way that it's intended which is to sneak around and avoid it you know for 60 seconds until it goes away um i am also very excited for the members of the community that will more than likely be using wardens in mob farms to then blast mobs off of shelves <laughs> yes <laughs> you know or kill them instantly because it's basically a one shot you're done you know for most other mobs in the game uh it's not an aoe effect it's just it's aimed at a single focused uh target and then that target is then removed however the warden can do it pretty frequently it has a pretty quick recharge time so like if you're faced with the warden like you are you're up against a corner mm -hmm. yeah no i think it's it's going to be kind of fun to see this in action and i think at this point i would argue that the warden is like as good as it needs to be in terms of gameplay features and i i, I think i've seen the same stuff as you where a lot of people have argued that it's too easy to cheese and like the, the, the i think people are taking that as like a challenge every time the warden has a new attack they immediately try and find a counter attack or maybe they test it a little bit just to see how hard is this and i almost think s some of that stuff is missing the point a little bit like i think there's always going to be ways to manipulate the game if you're a player who already likes to do that especially right and so shifting around some of the ways the warden behaves and allowing it to attack players higher up giving it a ranged attack i think these are all like good approaches to it i think the average player is maybe going to yeah like default to pillar up a couple of times because they've used that strategy against some other mobs once they find out that doesn't work i doubt they're going to try too many other things i think it's really their like 
if if you want to have any more complex stuff than that as far as the anti-cheese behavior of the warden it's going to be there to appease the small number of people who are going to inevitably just come up with a counter a countermeasure every single time um but i think what we've got out of it is like you said a really cool looking attack i think it's kind of adds to the the iconography of the warden a little bit in a really interesting way there are these new kind of particles of this beam that it shoots out at you and it stays within the idea of it being a sound-based mob like it really contributes to the experience so you know i would not be surprised if they had stuff like this planned from the beginning and just kind of had it in their back pocket ready for when people decided that pillaring up and attacking the warden was going to be too easy yeah i think there's probably a lot of like pushing the warden really far and then dialing it back and trickling out those features to the community just to kind of see how the sandbox experience goes right see how the experiment plays out um, i want to give a shout out to uh, mark's kid and strawberry jam two members of the community that wrote in with emails that i think reflect kind of like the split uh, of responses that we see at least in the inbox here at the sponge chunks on this kind of thing um mark's kid wrote in and said that they basically had a complaint that the new attack was overpowered and they had an idea for a sonic sword that they wanted in in their inventory that would then counter that or make it easier to then fight the warden and to my point earlier i think misses the idea that you're not supposed to fight the warden yeah yeah exactly um, then strawberry jam said that they're excited about the new sonic addition to the warden's uh melee attack so now it has two ways to attack the player uh doesn't feel it's quite balanced yet but did pose the question should developers try to prevent cheesing as much as possible and i think there's only so much you can do yeah. and i think there's a comparison to be made between the time in versus reward out that we often talk about here on the show uh with your gaming experience and mining experience in minecraft but then also the time in versus uh or the trouble to do it versus not in terms of cheesing something like you know, I, I watched a couple of videos where people have been fighting withers with iron golems uh, very effectively. Um, I don't want them to remove that from the game. That's a cool thing to figure out. And it's a cool mechanic to use. And you can if you want to, you know, put the feather in your cap of fighting the wither, which I will say I have not. Um, I've always cheesed it um, because I just that's not what Minecraft is about for me. So I think having options for players that, you know, um, want to fight the warden as some sort of you know achievement that they want to do on their own then there'll there'll be options to do it um there'll, there'll be a a way that you might want to do it quickly there might be some speed runs or something like that in terms of future competition but really you know they're making the idea of fighting the warden so much of a hassle that player most players are probably going to then just go through with the game mechanics and and um like uh, uh, avoid it in the way that they're supposed to yeah and i think that's fine in a sandbox game which is i think something strawberry jam said in their email there's always going to be someone that figures out a way to like you know drop a slime on the head of the warden from 400 blocks and just not <laughs> yeah. 400 blocks but like you know there's going to yeah. be a way somewhere there's going to be a way of of cheesing the the warden right yeah yeah and and i think there's there's still a couple of things that are going to be tweaked about it uh king b dogs did tweet on april 14th like last thursday that uh, based on the recent feedback, he's planning on maybe tweaking the Sonic Boom attack so it's a magic attack, which means it bypasses shields and I believe ignores a certain amount of armor. And so it still gives the 
melee attack a purpose if it deals a little bit less damage, like the Warden is going to deal its most damage to you up close, but it's also going to be unblockable, effectively, if it hits you, in the same way that a Guardian's laser attack is. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's, there's potential there for it to be balanced out with the sort of running away kind of approach. And I think a lot of the things that people aren't necessarily processing about the Warden is that maybe because we just keep calling it the Warden and not using the plural, you're going to be able to spawn more than one of these things. And even if you kill one of them, it's only going to be a few seconds before you trip another Skulk Shrieker and you potentially spawn another one. And I feel like even though it would be an epic fight to take down one of these things because they have so much health, you're pretty quickly going to understand how futile that ends up being because then you have to spend another five minutes cheesing another one very shortly afterwards and you've made no progress with regards to ex like exploring the structure or anything like that. Um, Jay Reimer in our live chat is pointing out that it would be kind of defeating the point if the warden was included in the monsters hunted advancement that you get for killing all of the mobs because you know the the developers clearly don't want you to do that and so i don't know for certain if it's in there yet and those tweaks for advancements and stuff is something i'd expect to be like towards the the latter days of snapshots and towards like pre-releases and stuff but i would be surprised if there's any encouragement to fight the warden at all and i think a lot of what people are getting from it is a the notion of it being a very challenging fight and so wanting a challenge from the game and b the idea that if it attacks you you should be able to retaliate which i don't think is the development team's like idea behind this at all what do you feel about the copper horns being dropped that's an interesting one like i'm i'm very curious and i don't know if we'll ever get a real answer to this but like what elements of it didn't live up to the team's expectations because the feedback they got, as they said, was mostly positive, and it was more just that they weren't getting what they wanted out of it. And my, you know, my my question is, what do you want? Like, uh, I'm I'm curious because it was pitched as a social feature. People were able to, you know, play all of these different variations of melodies and stuff on them. I was, yeah, I I assumed that that was a feature that sounded fine, and it's interesting to me that they've backtracked on this having said that the goat horn probably wasn't going to be in the wild update at all and along with bundles and then it has appeared in various iterations the regular goat horn is still in the game they seem to be happier with that but this new variation on it with the copper horn hasn't been <laughs> and i i think a lot of people are mainly going to be disappointed because they want something else to do with copper we voted the copper golem out of the mob vote we don't have a copper horn anymore people are still going to be stuck with like well what do i do with all this copper i've got laying around other than build roofs out of it and and so that's a, a curiosity to me how do, how do you feel about it so i was surprised when they said that the feedback was mostly positive because i didn't really feel like what i was seeing was overly positive but then i thought well i haven't seen much negative either and the pattern that i see emerging when stuff like this happens is they've added something fun to the game and i want the developers to add fun stuff to the game it doesn't all have to be function for me but generally the minecraft community goes like oh wow that's really cool and if it doesn't do anything then they just kind of forget about it yeah you know generally speaking you know like if if it's something that actually does something like you know 
um, amethyst shards. They make blocks. They have cool noises when you walk on them. Uh, the buds have various different functions in terms of like decoration and things. Uh, you use it to make the the spyglass. Um, but like the the copper horn was just a social feature, and a lot of people play Minecraft by themselves. And and I feel like you're just kind of like, all right, well, it makes noise. Great. I'll do it once. For me, that's records in Minecraft. I did it, found one, played it, go, oh, cool. And I've not touched one since. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, it's just a personal preference. Like it's, I'm not saying that they're bad. It's just of something that's not interesting to me. And I think generally the pattern that I see is when uh, a new feature out of the game is cool and fun, but doesn't come with like some other integrated functionality into the game and is used for something or aids the player in some way, then the general player base tends to lose interest pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably going to be the case. And it's also not something we saw tested with the Java community at all, was it? Like, I'm pretty sure this exclusively stayed on Bedrock. And while the Bedrock community is, I think, getting better at voicing its opinions and they've got the whole feedback site where typically they take feedback on features like this... I think the Java community is the ones who are going to be out there on YouTube making videos about that kind of stuff. And, and you know, they're, they're the larger, uh, like, voice in terms of sharing opinions about this stuff online. I, I mean, maybe that's just the circles that I run in and I'm, I'm not seeing a good half of the community there. But I, I do think a lot of the time Java players are the ones who feel like they have more sway over the decision making that goes into gameplay features like this which is weird, especially when we don't get to see what that part of the community feels about features like this because they never show up on Java in the first place. Um, Speaking of Java, though, one thing that got reverted that I am happier with is the um, note block change, the fact that they were going to mute them with wool and carpet only, and that's now been reverted. Um, And it sounded easy enough to adapt to, but I think I appreciate that not everybody wants to spam their redstone contraptions with wool, and... In some cases, in cases even where I've used note blocks and observers to, you know, channel redstone signal up and downwards, it's not possible to mute them with wool because they've got an observer on top of them or below them. And it, um, you know, it, it, it leads to a lot of redstone contraptions that use them becoming very noisy overnight, <laughs> basically. And so it seemed like that sort of made sense. And while you could argue that the association between like the sound a note block makes and will dampening vibrations with the new mechanics for the warden and skulk and everything it makes sense overall i feel like with note blocks they also have a bit of a distinction between what is music and what is vibrations what is sound and what is vibrations and it didn't need to be part of the same mechanic and it didn't need to be kind of you know adapted into the newer system that focuses on wool being a a utility block in that sense um so yeah ultimately i i was i was thinking about being fine adapting to it but honestly i'm pretty happy that they've reverted that change yeah i was i'm happy with it as well and if you've got a redstone contraption plan that's going to be using note blocks and skulk sensors you can still use wool to insulate the skulk sensor it won't mute the block or you can use a different block to mute the note block but if you don't if you don't have that option uh then then you can at least, you know, um, dampen the, the receptacles of the skulk sensor. I think that's how that would be expressed. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the, <laughs> the, 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 the receivers. Weird, the weird 
tentacle little thing. I don't know. The you antennae. Know. Yeah. Like there's, there's there you go. <laughs> any number of terminologies we could apply to it. But instead, uh, we'll move on to our chunk mail dispenser because this week is the week we typically go to the mailbag. We get a bunch of listener questions and we treat that as the main topic of the show instead of having a full on discussion topic. We've had lots of really great emails. So thank you to everybody who's emailed into the show. Uh, if you'd like to email the show and potentially get your email read on a future episode, the email address is as ever spawnchunkmail at gmail.com and joel why don't you kick us off first email is from nicholas h echo shards and amethyst hello i just listened to your previous episode where you talked about what uses there could be for echo shards there are similarities between the echo shard and amethyst shards they're both shards they're both related to a special item that helps with navigation and they both come from underground I think it would be cool if echo shards also made some sort of sound when you walked on them, like a deep bass echoing noise. Maybe they don't just have to be found in ancient cities. They could rarely grow off of skulk. Nicholas got chased by the warden while trying to think of good sign-offs. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's some good ideas here. I, I like the sound of this, uh, no pun intended. I think the, the deep bassy echoing noise reminded me of the cave noises that you occasionally hear, and I think it'd be really funny if you could trigger those, because a lot of players seem to react very strongly to them. They've never really bothered me, but whenever one of those kind of like howling noises uh, you know, happens in the background because there's enough dark spaces around you or whatever, uh, it'd be really interesting if you could manually you know, manipulate those in some way. And so instead of a, a, a bassy echoing noise um, or like a kind of a low clang to just pitch down the amethyst shard noise from like a, a kind of tiny handbell to like a big church bell ringing or something. Um, yeah, mm. may, maybe it could be something to do with the uh, the eerie noises that we hear throughout the world. It could be really fun from a creative standpoint too. Like you can imagine creating your own cave and putting some echo blocks, I guess, or shards. Ambience blocks, I'm not, yeah. Yeah, like so when you walk over them, it sounds like you're echoing through a cave. Like maybe it echoes whatever sound it it hears. You could have a lot of fun if that's at the bottom of a drop shaft where you're killing your creepers or your skeletons or something and they have an echoey death. You know, there could yeah. be a lot of fun uh -huh. to be had there. Um, I don't know with the comparison if, if um, Nicholas meant to like have echo shards be crafted into blocks. I mean, like I'm all for that. I think that would be fantastic. Uh, I like the comparison to Amethyst. I'm actually tipping my hat to Nicholas for picking up on the fact that the spyglass and the recovery compass are like similar navigation items. Yeah. Uh, and the shards are used in both of those crafting recipes. Like, That's a really good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I was I was kind of taken aback by that as well because I thought, yeah, no, that that's... That makes perfect sense. They're two very different items, but they are both used in a similar activity. And that's that's a that's a smart catch. Well done. I really like the sounds that they've added in 118. And so any kind of like block that you walk on or interact with that creates a new sound experience, I find really helps with Minecraft feeling new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think there's there's a certain kind of advantage to be had in that like like you said being able to shape the ambient soundscape of of what's around you um if we were to craft them into anything because i i think in terms of right right now they're just items you can't place them in the same way that amethyst has kind of clusters and blocks and that kind of thing so if echo shards took their current form to be able to place them in the world we would have to craft them which i mean makes sense but i'm also assuming then that we'd be able to farm them 
Um, yeah, Nicholas provides a couple of examples of how that could work. You know, they could rarely grow off the skulk. And I think while that's a cool idea, I think they're also currently one of the reasons to go to ancient cities, and the skulk is going to be everywhere in those deep dark biomes, and there are going to be areas of deep dark that don't have ancient cities in at all. Um, so once again, that's kind of... It's difficult to balance the loot proposition of ancient cities versus making mechanics like that more accessible. Um, I do like the idea, though, of them growing rarely from the skulk, Maybe if the skulk infested a geode, if there was, like, a bunch of skulk growth around one of those budding amethysts, then I don't know if it could have, like, a transformative property that would end up with the crystals growing into echo shards instead of amethyst clusters or something like that. Um, but if you if if you had to keep them as part of N-City loot, I cannot imagine the grind it would take to get them into anything that could be somewhat craftable. I, I think that the recovery compass should be a little bit more accessible. That's one of the reasons that I like the growing on skulk. Even if it's rare, I like the idea that you can use the recovery compass um, re like without having to go all the way to the ancient city because uh, I think it could be useful for players before they get to that point, but that's just me. Let's move on to the next email. This one comes in from Bexy Bermuda with the subject of lava fishing. Hi, Joel and Pix. I'm a fan of both of you. Really enjoy watching your streams and listening to the podcast. While listening to Joel's stream on Saturday, my five-year-old was playing Minecraft and said, I wish I could fish in lava. This got me thinking, how could this work in Minecraft? And could it mean the fishing rod would get extra enchantments and therefore be used more often in the game? What could you fish up from lava? Fire protection armor? Netherite? And is there scope for hooking a new mob that lives in lava lakes? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Keep up the superb work. Bexy Bermuda was pushed off a cliff by her own children in the nether and burned to death. True story. Hey, Bermuda kids, you're grounded. <laughs> yes, don't don't push mum off a cliff. Bad, bad form. Bad form. I, it really, I'm curious how that went down. <laughs> like, I want to know what the repercussions were. Because mm -hmm. there would be. In, in my, not that I have kids, but I, there would be some stern looks, I think, thrown around uh, my little Minecraft studio. Um, I think the idea of adding weird lava fish creatures whatever that looks like um would be suitable for minecraft and fun i think it would add a nice twist to the nether and i didn't do much uh nether survival but i know you did do you think that having like a fish food for the lack of a better term supply from lava in the nether would help with early game survival in the nether i'm i'm in favor of fishing having an overhaul in general um, and, and not because the loot is bad, but because the game has evolved in the different ways that we use it for you know, survival and fishing mechanics haven't uh, really. Like I, I, I still think fish would be a really decent source of food in a cave base, but the catch rates are so dramatically reduced if you don't have open sky above you that you're, you're catching a fish every couple of minutes instead of every few seconds. And the same is true of the nether. I think it would be really interesting to have that as part of the survival experience of the nether if you don't want either pork from hoglins, which are very difficult to kill if you have early game tools, or I guess mushroom stew is more or less the only other food option. I don't think the piglins throw you anything that you can eat. Um, and so, yeah, aside from looting the occasional chest, and we all know how the piglins feel about that, there aren't really that many options. And yes, the nether is meant to be a much more challenging environment, but I like the idea of once you put together a fishing rod, which you can do in the nether using wood from, you know, the crimson and warp trees and string from striders, if you can bring yourself to kill one of the adorable little critters, um, 
you need a fishing rod to go riding striders around the nether. And so it makes sense that you have a fishing rod there in the first place. Why not also be able to use it to fish? I kind of like the idea of lava fishing. I, I do as well, uh, especially if you're catching stuff that's not fish, you know, like insert wild creature from the nether that you pull out and <laughs> either have to eat, eat or cook or maybe use to enchant. Like maybe it's not food based, like maybe maybe you could fish out things like a blaze rod, you know, and that would make brewing potions natively possible in peaceful mode. Oh, that's right? a, that's an option. Yeah. Or, bla or blaze powder, maybe even because, yeah, then, yeah, then at least you're not giving the, the entire blaze rod away and, you know, people still have to find brewing stands in the overworld or something. But yeah, there's there's potential to be had there. And I think in terms of cooking whatever comes out of the lava, good luck. <laughs> you know, I think it's cooked itself yes. already by that point or it's very immune to fire in the same way that like, yeah, you can you can toss netherite in or you can you know the 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 wood in the nether natively doesn't burn um so i think there's there's potentially something that's either pre-cooked or you have to eat it raw and and have fun with that um yeah i'm imagining crunchable <laughs> crunchable skeletal fish you know Just like ba um... bacon bits is what you get yeah. at that point <laughs> bacon bits. <laughs> well there's hoglins already there like it makes sense right yeah. like bacon that's, finally that's added good. to minecraft as as yeah. fishing loot <laughs> Oh, that's great. Um, Bexy Bermuda mentioned netherite. I'm assuming likely netherite scrap, not blocks as a rare reward, which I think is a decent idea. Um, it would be neat too if like overfishing a specific spot in the nether would summon some sort of like lava stingray or like maybe the wildfire from Minecraft Dungeons, like just <laughs> yeah. adding some sort of experience where it's like you can't, here's a cool new mechanic, but if you abuse it, then again, the nether is dangerous. And if you, similar to how like, you know, the the, the skulk shriekers will summon the warden after I think three missteps, mm -hmm. um, you know, fishing an area for too long or too many casts um, is, is easy to do. And if you are not careful about how often you're spending fishing in the same area, maybe then you end up with a, a mob encounter that you don't want. Um, I recently played a bit of Moonglow Bay, which I've mentioned before in the render distance on the show. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll have a link to the website in the show notes. Uh, and fun note, it's actually set in Eastern Canada in the 1980s. I had no idea that it was a Canadian-based like experience as an nice. RPG. Uh, but it's on Xbox um, Live, not Xbox Live. It's on Xbox Game Pass. It's also on their cloud service, so you don't even have to download it if you just want to play it. And it's a pretty low poly game. It looks a lot like um, what's the voxel-based dinosaur game that you played for a while there? Uh, Pixar. Um, Pixar, yeah. What I've seen of it, it reminds me of Crossy Road a little bit as well in terms of like, yep. yeah, the, the voxel art kind of look of it, yeah. Voxel art kind of thing. But uh, what I liked about it uh, was the combination of fishing mechanics of reeling a fish in along with the type of bait that you're using. And I think eventually it will be the type of rod you use. I didn't play for super long. Um, and I like the fishing mechanics. They're better than what you do in Minecraft for sure. And yeah. it made it fun. I, I was like, I don't know. I'm going to like this fishing game. Like, I'll give it a go because it looks cute. Uh, and, and once I read that it was about you know eastern canada i was like well i'm from eastern canada this is going to be fun and it is it's it's got that vibe to it and i didn't know it was set in the 80s until just today but it you get that feel uh in it because like there's no cell phones you know like you're walking around and talking to people um but the the other item other things in the game like the cooking mechanics kind of were tedious and were enough for me to kind of bail out 
Um, but I think some things could be learned from from games like that. And I know you play a lot of Stardew Valley. Like, do you think the the fishing mechanics in Stardew Valley could be implemented in lava fishing in Minecraft? <laughs> Maybe I do like the Stardew fishing mini game. I know it's a it's a, a love it or hate it thing about Stardew for a lot of people, but it's good. Um, fun fact: before we get off Moonglow Bay, there is a connection to Minecraft in that uh, Lena Rain, who contributed to the Caves and Cliffs and the Nether Update soundtracks, did the soundtrack for Moonglow Bay as well. So. There's hmm. uh, a, a bit a bit of a voxel connection and a uh, a, co- a composer connection there as well. Um, yeah, as as far as Stardew goes, I think the fishing mechanics in there are fun, especially with the optional thing that pops up every so often to allow you to get treasure as well as a fish, and you having to balance between grabbing the treasure and whether or not the fish gets away in the meantime. Um, the other game that I've played extensively that has fishing as a mechanic is Terraria. Um, which obviously gets compared to Minecraft quite a lot. And you can fish in lava in that game because it has an an underworld, basically like a hell kind of layer that you dig down to. And I believe you can fish in lava there. You can fish in different biomes and it comes up with different stuff, which kind of got me thinking the other thing that really needs doing with fishing, if they're planning on doing anything else with it, if they want to overhaul it in future, is to make more biome-specific stuff happen with it. And the only biome-specific drop we have right now from fishing, I think, is bamboo. And I believe in Bedrock Edition, there's one other thing that you can get. Cocoa beans, I think, from jungles, maybe. Um, there's, there's some stuff that you can occasionally fish up in jungles that's different from the standard fishing loot table. But considering that we now have live fish in the game and those are more tied to a specific biome you typically get salmon in river biomes you don't see cod until you go out to oceans the tropical fish are in specific places in lush caves in you know warmer oceans i think it would be kind of cool to have if not more varieties of fish then at least adjust the chances a little bit of some of the fish showing up in different places you can fish more successfully per puffer fish in a certain place and maybe have a, a few more additions to the loot table for each area to encourage exploration and encourage people to fish more than just a few times in the early game to get enchanted books and stuff. Moving on to email number three from Dolphinman980. Allay Transportation. Hi, Johnny and Joel. I was listening to episode 184, The Peaceful Allay, when I realized how much of a pain transporting one or more allays back to your base would be. So what if, like axolotls in buckets, you could put an allay in a bottle to transport them back home easily? I think this could really fit with the feel of the game. And apart from ethical dilemmas in this next idea, they could be even used to add a potion of magmatism to the game, which would allow the player to pick up items from farther away made by well i think you get the idea dolphin man 980 was consumed from the inside via a vex Uh, (laughs) staying right here right now dolphin man 980 sounds like a superhero name but they want to boil allays alive i'm (laughs) calling secret villain right now absolutely yes like the, the the bottles uh rendering down in the brewing stand oh dear um this idea has a very Legend of Zelda smell about it to me. Uh, the the kind of fairy in a bottle kind of thing that you uh, you have. I think that began in Link to the Past, maybe, where you could use them to refill your health if you had a fairy in your inventory. Um, yeah, like, uh, mostly the, the thing that, like, pulls me up on this idea is not necessarily the mechanic of storing a mob like that because there is precedent for it with storing mobs as items we do it with axolotls now you can even store them in more interesting ways than buckets if you have beehives and nests storing bees right 
I think for me it's a size problem because typically when we're used to looking at glass bottles we look at the sprite or we look at how they appear in a brewing stand they're still the kind of flat x-shaped uh sprites for them and they don't look all that big <laughs> and I, I think the Alay is still a reasonably sized mob they're still about the size of a, a fully grown uh minecraft bee and so stuffing one of those into a bottle feels cruel because we think of the bottles as being natively smaller. I think if we were able to place glass bottles and they had a 3D model and they were actually closer to like being block sized or at least like a decent vase, then I think we might be uh, it, it might it might feel less incongruous to uh, to trap an LA inside of a glass bottle. But right now it just feels like the bottles aren't big enough. I mean, magnetism potions aside, because that's essentially what an alay does for you when you bring it with you mining already. Um, I like the idea of making an alay easier to transport. Like right now, their trouble or time in does not match their usefulness for me. Um, and you could maybe add a bit of cuteness to like putting an alay in a small bottle and have it really not like being in there. Uh, they seem pretty pleasant and, and chimey and chirpy out in the world. I like the idea of putting an alay in a bottle and having basically like a smushed angry face up against yeah. the glass uh, with accompanying <laughs> sort of be... kind of sound effects from it being <laughs> yeah, like inside that there. would be very, yeah that would be very 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 cool uh, and you know some cartoony pop when you release it from the you know when you get home you like take it out and like maybe you then have to like feed it or do something with it to get it back to liking you again otherwise it'll mm -hmm. be just like <laughs> no thanks bud <laughs> i'm out see ya um i don't know it's an interesting idea and i think that there could be some uses for or examples taken like this farther. I like the idea of um, capturing mobs in, in glass bottles. I think that's a cool concept. And But I agree with you. I think that you'd have to be able to then have a model of that when you place it down, similar to how we have like a barrel or a um, cauldron in the world. I think we'd have to know how big a you know, glass bottle is. It would be a fun thing to add to the game from a decorative perspective. People could use it all, in all kinds of places, especially if you could fill it with liquid or potions and have it look like it's full of stuff. Like having a mad scientist lab that's full of different kind of potions that are actually placed in the world rather than like entities and item frames or these the armor stand data pack holding things around. I think it could be really fun. If you really want to get whimsical with it, like sheep in a bottle, cow in a bottle, villager in a bottle, I'm down. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Seshi Summons in our live chat has brought up uh, the cow in a jar. That's actually a thing in a mod called Cooking for Blockheads, and it just, uh, there's like a, a model of a cow inside of a, like a not quite block-sized, but almost block-sized jar, and it just generates milk over time. <laughs> and so you can you can, you can can right-click on it, and it's a block that you have placed instead of having to go to a cow every time. You go to the cow, but it's conveniently contained within a, a jar that you can place on a shelf somewhere. Um, it's a fun little, like, whimsical thing, but uh, you've got to wonder about the, uh, the cruelty to the cow. <laughs> you've got to make sure that you go and grab the milk every so often so that the cow doesn't drown in it. Our uh, next email comes in from Kagan W with the subject of more barrels. Hi, Joel and Pixelriffs. I was listening to some older episodes about coloured chests or chests made from the different wood types. I agree that it gets complicated when you think about how often chests are used, but what if you had other blocks just like barrels? Barrels are obviously spruce wood textured, but for example, a crate block could look like acacia wood or a basket could be birch wood. I imagine it would be the same crafting recipe and perform a similar or the same function. Aesthetics would depend on which wood type the new block is made out of. I think this is a decent substitute for the dyed chests, and barrels don't get used as much, so it's less difficult to code it. Also, the more decor blocks in Minecraft, the merrier. Who doesn't want that? 
I think this is a solid idea. And brainstorm time, what would we craft out of the other wood types? And would they all have to be completely different? Interesting. So instead of it being like, you, you could have like a spruce barrel and also an oak barrel, but then some of the others might be a little bit different. I do like the, the woven basket idea with birch wood. I think birch and wicker obviously share a lot of the same kind of color temperature to them. Um, I agree. So I, I think that that does make sense. I'm, I'm thinking of like the baskets that they hide in, in like Disney's Aladdin, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it could look good next to stuff like composters, beehives, to have that sort of circular texture on it. That's that's a, a pretty solid idea. I'm not sure what I would do with acacia. Acacia, the crate was um, was the example in the email, in Kagan's email. I think acacia is always the difficult one for me to imagine because I don't think of a great deal of real-life stuff that is that orange. It's like The, the colour is really what me- makes it stand out in Minecraft, and I can't really think of much that I would designed that way from from real life so what i was thinking of for acacia because i had the same problem with the orange texture was to use the bark texture instead and have it be like an acacia bundle where you've taken bark and wrapped it around whatever it is that you're storing in it Uh um i don't know how that works technically one of the things that i i wish we had with barrels was the option to see what was in them so barrels are always closed but having a barrel of apples or a barrel of you know wheat or a barrel of you know clay or sand or whatever would just be kind of cool to be able to see the top open um if nothing else to save you being able to have to put like labels or signs or item frames or something on the barrel so you that you remember what's in them and i think um one in one way having different color coded um you know barrel type blocks would help with that because you like you could keep maybe all of your wood in your birch barrel, but then all of your stone in your in your spruce barrel. And that way you wouldn't have to necessarily have to remember, you know, uh, via signs what's in your chests, which ultimately all look the same. In the same way that people use color-coded chilker boxes to remember what's in them. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, the, a, a bundle, I, I got stuck on a bundle for jungles as well. I thought a jungle box could be kind of cool. So like you think about a crate, you think about something that's very tight. It has like a very tight fitting lid. It's got cross braces, you know, angled pieces on the texture, that kind of thing. Uh, I have a crate texture on my note block currently in, in my texture pack because I think it helps with the medieval stuff. But like having a jungle box that's like maybe not as tightly put together, you know, like a couple of loose nails or having spaces between the slats, that kind of thing. Um, what I really got stumped on was what to do with warped and crimson stuff. Yeah, I, I sort of feel like you wouldn't need to worry too much about warped and crimson because they're from the nether and so you don't have to, <laughs> you don't always have to lump them in with the rest of the stuff that the other wood types do. I think it, it typically happens and it's good that it happens, but, you know, we've also got to think about mangrove coming up. Like, you know, yes. the... Mm-hmm. The, the thing that this brought to mind for me, and to play devil's advocate here for a second, it gets more complicated if you're using the same recipe to build a barrel as you are some of the other stuff, and it's just dependent on wood type, because barrels are a villager workstation. And so if you consider all of these barrel variants, does the fisherman still use them? If you bring the fisherman a wicker basket, is he going to try and store fish in it? You know, um, right. I'm kind of curious about whether that mechanic would hold over or if it might merit a different crafting recipe just to differentiate them from villager workstations to begin with. And on a related note to that, I think it's kind of neat that the barrel is like the spruce workstation, while a lot of the other wood types have 
workstation blocks that even if you're using a different type of wood to craft them every time you make a cartography table it looks like dark oak right like every time you make a fletching table it's the birch color um and i, I think having looked at it now the smithing table actually matches mangrove quite neatly um which is also making me wonder if we're ever going to see acacia villager workstations but i think it's it's kind of a double-edged thing like you've got you've got to consider from a um, a game mechanic standpoint are any of these going to have uses other than as functional containers are they going to prompt more villager workstations are they going to be just a substitute in for barrels how do they interact how does it make them significantly different from just using a barrel and it doesn't have to of course but i think that's one of the things that the team always looks for is ways that they can make this type of storage have a unique interaction with automated storage or you know maybe this is the the one type of storage thing that can pull stuff out of hopper minecarts without a hopper being present or you know that that kind of stuff i think there's there's some interest to be had there beyond just aesthetics to me do you think we have time for one more email yeah let's cover this one i think it's a short and sweet one so let's give it a go this one comes in from matt t i liken the die hello spawn chunkers it's a weird way to say that. <laughs> I wrote in a while ago about dying chests, and I love that I got to hear you talk about that topic. I have a new idea, dying lichen. The lichen is an awesome texture that you can, can be placed on many blocks. Imagine if you could use dye to change the color of the lichen so that you'd have an option to additively change the texture and essentially the color of any block. The same amount of light given off by the lichen would not be changed, uh, but the new color options would be a wonderful addition. Matt was exploded by a creeper while admiring the colors. Ah, a different type of dyeing, yes. Um, <laughs> I also like that <laughs> Matt has now made like dye suggestions, his bit that he does in our email inbox. It's very good. Um, there's, a, there's a recurring feature, and it's what can we dye this week? Um, and, and so we're, we're dyeing lichen, or, or dyken, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I like... I like the idea of being able to dye anything because it's fun. It gives us more aesthetic options. It's more interesting to have variety in this. And I'm sure many of us have had situations where you think, oh, if I could just have painted this wood plank or if this was just a little bit of a different color, if I had the ability to modify this or that, I think it's fun. I think lichen and blocks like it have the option to be used as like an overlay for existing blocks as well. And one of the... the the things I've seen people do with lichen to great effect is just to modify something or use it as a transition material between different things. So you you know you blend things a little bit more easily if you can just have roughly half of the texture showing with the other half being covered by lichen and then smooth over those boundaries. Um, and so yeah, there's some some really good options. And if you give players a bunch more colors in which they can do that, then I think that you have aesthetics to match every situation at that point i've seen some creative uses of lichen lately and it's really made me want to use the feature in the game more and i think dyed lichen is a neat idea and i would definitely help with you know wanting to place the the gray green lichen on a warmer block texture if you could change it to match it a little bit better i don't know if dye is going to be the game mechanic that would be the most interesting. Uh, we recently had the addition of frog lights and the different colors from that come from the different types of frog killing um, magma cubes. So I was thinking like, what about expanding the colors of lichen depending on what you grow it on? 
Yeah. So you get lichen as it naturally occurs in, say, uh, a lush cave, and then you put it on terracotta, and then when you bone meal it, the new stuff becomes red or orange or yellow or something. Or because lichen is a technically a, a low light source, what if you have to grow it on a light source block in the game, which does limit your colors. It's not going to give you the full range of 16, but like sea lantern for blue or cyan, yellow on glowstone, shroom light for orange, maybe get into something like nether wart because lichen is kind of like a, a, a fungus, um, like nether wart block for red, warped wart for cyan or blue again. Like you could get some in there get some warm get some cool i don't know that there'd necessarily be a need for like magenta lichen or black <laughs> lichen you know all black black lichen would be pretty cool though like i i can see a push and pull for either way like cool new game mechanic or just diet either way i, I like the idea of these layered textures being over other blocks because it gives players a lot of different block texture options without flooding the game with hundreds of new textures. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Right. You know, I think um, stuff like light pink or yellow or white lichen would add some really neat decorative possibilities for stuff like tree blossom. Um, and considering you can attach it to the underside of a block as well, like it could be falling, it could be still attached. Um, I know Joe Hills on Hermitcraft has been coating trees with glow lichen near his haunted house build on Hermitcraft. It, it, it kind of adds a spooky look to the trees, and I think he's thinking of it more like a, a kind of a fungus or some kind of like you know rot that's setting in. My first thought is spider webs. I think it looks like there's a bunch of webs kind of hanging from the branches of the trees, and so having that in more colors could be really interesting. And the the dye idea of it like leaching the color out from something. I'm thinking of the science experiment you do in school where you see how food dye affects a stalk of celery. Like if you put it in dye colored water, it like draws the water up the 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 trunk of the of the celery and you're left with a bunch of evidence that it's kind of pulled the water up through it and that's how you 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 first I you know you you first experience the idea of plants drinking water um and so there's there's some some kind of neat ideas there if you attach it to like a, a really intensely colored block like wool or concrete or something like that i can see it slowly leaching the dye out over time and and changing and that's where we're going to wrap up this episode of the spawn chunks folks thank you so much for listening and thanks for all the emails that were sent in today you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show was composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community where pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can participate in things like our live show recording when it's recorded every week in discord and the monthly minecraft audio hangout which is happening this saturday um we're currently at 344 patrons which is up six from last week last week's patreon count was 338 so it's amazing to have this many new people jumping on board and special thanks go out to our content engineers hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. A personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and say, you should listen to The Spawn Chunks. 
in a place like iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, even YouTube. Really, wherever you can find a podcast, you can find the Spawn Chunks. You can email us at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com, and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm up to online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. The Citadel Cafe is my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. We have some email this week to get to with Brockett, and I watched Spider-Man No Way Home over the weekend, so I'll touch on that as well. That's at thecitadelcafe.com. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from the Citadel. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and some of it will shout at you.